Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. My name is Kenneth. Uh, I'm a Covenant community member here at The Well, and I attend Mueller CG. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves so to good works, so as to help case of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of our Lord. All right. Beautiful church. How are we? Good, good. Hey, I often say this at the end, but uh, let me start off this uh, at the beginning here this morning. Um, Hey, I love you all like crazy. Um, And I'm really grateful to the Lord to allow me to uh, be a part of a church like this, both to shepherd uh, the church, but also to be shepherded by uh, you. And so like genuinely grateful for our church. The Lord's just been placing that on my heart uh, this week. I feel like God has really blessed us as a church community. He's blessed me abundantly here. And so thank you all. Like I love you all, genuinely. Um, This isn't like a love sandwich either, okay? Like I'm not gonna randomly come in with a rebuke now, all right? Uh, It's a genuine affection. So last week in Titus, we ready? Um, Cool, well, we'll still carry this theme of discipleship for two more weeks, but we're rounding out Titus this morning. But short passage, a ton to cover though. And so today we're looking at the idea that multiplication and sending uh, really makes more disciples. Notice the word more there in that title for the first time in this series. Uh, The goal of our personal and corporate discipleship is not just so that we individually can look more like Jesus. All throughout the scriptures, it's clear that God desires multiplication to be happening as well. He wants us to multiply his image all throughout the world. This is clear from the Genesis 2 mandate that he has given humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And it's also true all the way up to the Great Commission, where Jesus takes this physical reality and turns it into an even greater spiritual reality. So it's not just through the having of children and image bearers where we see the glory of God expand, but it's actually through the making of disciples that that is most prevalent. Therefore, everybody is a part of this kingdom mandate. God wants to use us, each of us, Right? God wants to use you. He wants you to be active in a kingdom that is greater than the one that is here on this earth. He wants you to make an eternal impact. And the only thing that is eternal about the world that we are in are the souls that are in it. Everything else will either be destroyed or it'll be renewed, but we are the ones that remain. And so our personal becoming more like Jesus should have an outflowing effort to help others become more like Jesus as well, because God wants you to make an eternal impact and souls of humans are eternal. We should multiply God's image on earth. 
We actually used this analogy in the last sermon series, but it fits in on this one as well. There's a difference between a pond and a spring and the life that it produces. A pond, because there is no water coming into it or water going out of it, has a really hard time maintaining life. That's why you see algae and fungus and all these different types of things that are growing in the pond. That's why you can't drink that water, you will get sick and even perhaps die. But a spring, even if it's really, really small, if it has flowing waters, things coming in and out of it, it produces all sorts of life and nourishment for our bodies. Discipleship really is the spring of life for the church. And I think that many of us feel a sense of staleness in our relationship with Jesus because we are not a spring of life that's flowing into others. We treat Christianity often with a consumer mentality, like what is in it for me, instead of a servant's mentality asking, what can I give to others, which is therefore mimicking our Savior Jesus, who sought not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And irony, uh, when we think about others, this is usually where we tend to find the most joy, because as we're thinking about others, we become a spring. Paul gets this idea here, and Paul, despite how hard it is, which he often mourns over in his letters, that the multiplying and then the sending of disciples is a really hard work, but Paul also knows the commission of Christ, and he also knows the worthiness of Christ to that commission, and now he's calling this small but a vibrant church to do the same thing that he's been doing, to sin or to multiply or to pour into others, to fulfill the Great Commission by building up the church. And so let me ask a question that I'm going to keep asking throughout this uh, sermon today. It's going to be one of our anchoring questions, if you will. Uh, I want to ask, do you believe that discipleship is one of the main responsibilities for you as a Christian? Second question I want us to ask is, and do you believe that you're important in the process? So not just theoretically discipleship for them, but like discipleship for you and you making disciples. Do you really believe that? And I'm not asking, do you think that with your mind? I'm asking, do you believe that with your soul? Okay, like for us to plant 100 churches, for us to reach the city of Austin and see more people come to faith, for us to be a beautiful church that isn't just like a dope church, but we are growing in Christ likeness. We need each other in the midst of this body. Does your soul believe that discipleship is important? Is it a value of yours? Is it a conviction of yours? And do you see your part to play in this kingdom process? Let's jump in and end this letter together. I want you to notice all the names that are here in this letter. And I want us to think about some of them. Uh, Let's start backwards. You have Zenos and Apollos, the marketplace worker and the minister. Apollos was a phenomenal preacher according to the book of Acts. Both are needed for the sake of the gospel. And Paul is being strategic in having them come to this church in Crete. In fact, Apollos was probably helping the church form directly, being like a full-time minister to the church to build her up. And Zenos was probably sharing the gospel in the marketplace and, and serving the church and building up the church in this way. And so you have Apollos who was in ministry in the church and Zenos who was in ministry in the marketplace. You had Apollos that could deliver a sermon on Sunday and Zenos that could deliver biblical justice on Monday. You had Apollos who was a broke minister and Zenos who was making that guap. 
Both are needed for the kingdom, okay? Uh, here's somebody's name that you don't see in the midst of this, but is equally as valuable to this story. You don't see the name Priscilla mentioned here in the book of Titus. Although she's not mentioned here, Priscilla is an important part in the building up of the church of Crete. Why do I say this? Well, Priscilla helped lead Apollos to faith and helped disciple him in how to be a faithful minister to the gospel in the first place. She helped him understand how to interpret the scripture and better apply the scripture. Here's the story in Acts chapter 18. Read this with me. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But in Acts chapter 14, verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. So he did not know that Jesus came and resurrected and he knew a Messiah was coming, but he didn't know who that Messiah was. So he's very faithful. He's really, really close, but he does not yet know Jesus. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was, that the Christ was Jesus. Now, it would have been really easy for Priscilla and Aquila to desire him to stay at their church in Ephesus. Imagine if Aquila was like, no, nah, Apollos is a dope preacher. That's what it says all throughout Acts. And so therefore we are not sending him, we're keeping him because he's a dope preacher here in this church. Well, maybe if she had not gotten used to multiplying and building up and sending, the church of Crete wouldn't have made it because maybe she would be unwilling to send Apollos to go keep that church intact by the faithful preaching of the gospel. And maybe if Priscilla was selfish in her discipleship, then you wouldn't even be a Christian today. Because maybe Apollos is going allowed that church in Crete to maintain and through their discipleship and the discipleship of generations that led your mom to faith, who led you to faith, like the multiplication is important for the generations to come, family. And so is sending hard? Yes, of course it is. Once again, Paul knew this well. He is often in agony over the hardship of discipleship and multiplication. But do you believe that discipleship and multiplication is one of the main responsibilities for you as a Christian? A flowing stream, not a stagnant pond, is one of the indicators of healthy discipleship in every local church. The goal is not just your personal growth, it is the growth of the kingdom at large. I'll come back to that idea in a second. Let's go back to Zenus real quick with me. Uh, Zenus is never used before in scripture or after in scripture, but is still somebody who is being sent. So just because he is not known or famous doesn't mean that he cannot be used by God. Similarly, do you see your part to play in the commissioning and the sending of every local Christian into the world around us to make much of Jesus? Do you see your importance in the building up of the local churches that through this, you are part of something that is bigger than yourself? You see, if Zenos had not been faithful, you would have never known his name, ever. 
But because of his willingness to be sent and to serve the local church, his name is now canonized forever. You know the name of Zenos. Just because you are not wildly known does not mean that you are invaluable to the kingdom of God, saints. Now you may say, well, the canon is closed, so my name won't be in it. That's true. You won't be in this canon. But you do realize the canon in heaven is still open, don't you? that God is writing down the deeds of the saints to be read before all, there is still a canon that is open. And as we are faithful, God sees our faithfulness and records them, y'all. Like he will reward those who are faithful to him. God sees every labor that you do for his church that he loves and bled and died for. Do you see your part to play in something bigger than yourself? And do you believe that discipleship is one of the main ways that you can play your parts? Can you think about all that God has done here in our church this year and realize your part in it and believe that reward is coming? Do you believe, y'all, like in your soul that making disciples and being a disciple is one of the greatest gifts on earth? Do you see your value in the kingdom of God? I want us to think about this even next week for baptisms. Some of y'all are really easily going to be impacted because you will be the one baptizing the person, maybe because you helped lead them to faith or were the main discipler in their faith. And that is awesome, yes and amen. But can each of you see how you're a part of every single person's testimony of baptism next week because you have been practicing corporate discipleship? Remember, it's not just individual one-on-one, but the corporate aspect as well. As you make a space for somebody, as you give generously, which allowed Huli to be on staff and to lead the person to faith and begin discipling them and put them in CGs. And like, can you see your part to play in the greater kingdom of God? And do you believe that God sees what you're doing and will reward your faithfulness, y'all? Like, do you believe it in your soul is what I'm asking. Do you see your value in the corporate whole? I think about the church of Crete, which is about to do a lot of sending and receiving. Titus is about to leave. More people are about to come. There's all this movement. I think about even in our own church, like Travis, one of our church planters, there will be valuable people, committed people, people who are serving our church in unbelievable ways that are going with Travis, which will lead gaps and holes in our church. Do you see how corporately God may be calling you to fill those so that the Great Commission continues both here and there? Do you recognize your value in the midst of all of this? Individual discipleship, right? Corporate discipleship. You making a bunch of little zenuses like the man here who are faithful where God is calling them and you helping them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and blessing the church in the midst of it. All of us have a part to play. Um, I think about the parable of the talents because I'm not getting a lot of amen, so I'm gonna preach long today. (laughs) In the parable of the talents, I think about the reality of what God is calling them into. He says, look, I've given you all these different gifts. And we normally think about this with like spiritual gifts and talents, and that is a right application. But what if we also realize that that's not the only thing that God has called us to steward? You're not just called to steward your money or your gifts or your time. You're also called to steward the relationships that God has put around you. And so what if we begin to think about the parable of talents in regards to relationships? And I want us to think about the last guy here. If you're unfamiliar with the story, there were two people, two of them multiplied really, really well. They doubled their intake. They got five talents and made five more. They got two and made two more. But then there's this last cat here. 
Let's look at him, verse 24. He also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. The master doesn't like that and ends up saying, if you knew me to be this hard guy, why did you not at least invest my money to at least make a little bit of income? In other words, what he's saying here is, listen, yes, there are gifts to be stewarded, but also there are souls to be stewarded as well. And if you think that the master is a cruel master that is ready to punish you, then that statement that there are souls to be stewarded around you becomes a burdensome statement. And you begin to think, oh no, I don't know how to make disciples quite like the apostle Paul. So let me stop doing this and therefore bury the talents of the people around me and not build them up to be a part of the body of Christ because you're misinterpreting the master. The master is not cruel. He is, that's the opposite of what we see in the master. The master gave these people talents that weren't even theirs. And we're like, Hey, good job. You multiplied. Let me give you a bunch more and you can keep all of it. It's the opposite of a cruel or selfish master. He is a generous master. But if we believe that the master is kind and generous and gracious and benevolent, then what if every single person that you help to become more like Jesus, what if that becomes a reward of yours that is echoed throughout all of eternity, saints? What if it becomes something beautiful? Paul got this idea as well. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter three, I love this idea. Beginning in verse two says this, you Corinthians yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The Corinthian church is the most jacked up church in the New Testament, y'all. Right? Maybe Laodicea is up there as well in Revelation 3. But Paul's like, yo, I am so proud of you all. You all are my letters of recommendation. Do y'all know what that is? Right? Like when you go get a job, you have letters of recommendation. So if you were trying to work for the well, I would call one of your letters of recommendation. And I would be like, hey, yo, is JT a good dude? And they would say yes or no. And you try to put people who are going to always say positive things about you right? And it's like, yo, I would call and I would ask. Paul's like, hey, you yourselves are our letters of recommendation. Think about what he's saying there. What he's saying is, hey, listen, when I go stand before the king one day in heaven, if Jesus was like, yo, was Paul a faithful minister? Did he use his talents rightly? There's going to be a bunch of people that are going to be standing there and be like, yes, Paul did that. Paul discipled me, Paul sacrificed for me, Paul loved, let this man into the kingdom and that will become your reward. Do you have living letters that will meet you in heaven and say, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Everyone who we multiply and the mission of God that we focus on, as we do this family of God, there is a reward that is coming that will never ever perish. Now at this point, you may feel like, Dang, I don't know if I really do that well, right? I don't know how to make disciples. I'm not really sure I know how to multiply my life into others, how to share my faith, how to build up others in the faith. I don't know how to serve the church. I don't even know what my gifts are in the church. I don't know how to multiply and send disciples corporately or individually. That's okay. You don't serve a cruel master. 
You serve a generous one that is today inviting you into the kingdom practice again. Even if this is your hundredth time and you've rejected it 99, respond to the king today. Notice even Paul's words here. He says back in Titus, do your best. He says, learn. He has this idea of grace in there. That word learn in the Greek has the exact same root word for the Greek word discipleship as well. It's okay that you're not there, saints, but are you actively moving there? Are you trying? Are you learning? Are you growing? Like, like I'm not rhetorically asking this. Like, I'm really asking you, right? Like, are you learning, saints, because you believe that Jesus is worthy? Do you believe that discipleship is one of your main responsibilities as a Christian and that you're important in the discipleship process because God has saved you, Ephesians 2.10 says, for good works that he prepared for you beforehand. Meaning everybody he saved has a work to do, meaning you are valuable in the kingdom of God. Hello, that's good news for somebody, right? Like God is wanting to use you. All of these names that we just read are important in that local church. Are you trying to devote yourself to a God who devoted his one and only son for you? In exegesis this week, uh, Nico, who also speaks French and Portuguese as well as English, he mentioned that in French, this phrase, do your best, is actually like the French phrase that translates force yourself, <laughs> which is a little bit of a stronger word, right? Like if I told Kyria, my daughter, hey, sweetie, do your best, you'd be like, oh, he's such a good dad, <laughs> right? If I was like, force yourself, you'd be like, dog, <laughs> chill, right? Uh, but this is important, okay? Because in the Greek, it does carry this idea of an encouragement, but it also carries an idea of a command. It is a command of Christ to do good works. He is not just a savior to be loved. He is also a Lord to be obeyed. So do you really believe that discipleship is something that you are called to do? And are you learning? Are you devoting? Are you trying your best? Are you forcing yourself to really try to make disciples of the world around us as a Christian who has been purchased by Christ's blood? Now, remember y'all, remember, we're doing all of this in light of the gospel. Remember the sermon last week, right? Like last week, we talked only exclusively about the gospel and we showed how the gospel is what truly motivates and gives power to our works. So as we remember Jesus, we multiply because we realize how worthy he is to be exalted. We look at his sacrifice and we realize the only right response is for us to sacrifice our lives for him as well. And so I wanna ask, how is God calling you to learn and grow in this very idea? Once again, I'm not rhetorically asking now, I'm asking you to think about it like while we're processing. Who is God calling you to disciple, to pour into? How is God calling you to grow as a disciple, as someone who loves, follows, and serves Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How can you help someone grow? How can you not just be a pond right? Or for some of us, not just be kind of a pond that has water flowing into it, but no water flowing out of it. And if we turn into that, guess what happens? We actually flood everything around us. And we wonder what the problem is with American Christianity. A lot of times there's a lot of ponds that have a lot of water flowing in and no water flowing out. And it creates flood all around. That is dangerous to the environment that they are in. We are meant to be springs and springs give life to you, saints, and to everyone around you. Who can you pour into as well?
Remember, not just one-on-one discipleship. Remember the graphic each week, the personal and the corporate. Personally, yes, who can you pour into? But then corporately as well, how can you be a part? Listen, when I think about discipleship, there are a few people who I think has made more of an impact in our church than one of my best friends, Huli. Um, yeah, amen. She's great. Um, it's often hard for us to remember though and to see the impact that discipleship makes. And so rather than tell this like really, really long story about her impact, we actually asked a bunch of her friends to share what her discipleship has meant into their lives. And so I actually want to watch this video together with my sweet sister, Huli. <clears throat> Love you, girl. Um, hey, listen, does Huli look like a stale pond growing algae? <laughs> All right. No, she looks like a flowing stream that are flowing in others. Literally, her eyes are flowing streams, right? Um, discipleship is impactful, y'all, right? Discipleship is impactful. So maybe Huli hasn't discipled you, but maybe Liz has. Or maybe Sandra was your CG shepherd at some point, and you were then therefore discipled by her. These are only four women that we showed, Right, there's literally dozens of more. And we literally had to cut out so much time from those four women to make it fit on a Sunday. The original video was 20 minutes long, all right? Uh, because discipleship actually makes a difference. It changes churches, it changes the kingdom, y'all. Can I give a selfish motivation to why you should do discipleship real quickly? Uh, discipleship, it grows your love, y'all. Like look at Huli's love that you just literally saw. You see that even in the text that Paul is talking about. He says, look, our church. Like he says us a bunch of times. He says the word greetings there in that text. There's this very clear affection for the church that exists there. You literally love the people that you disciple. So if you want to grow in love, which all of us do, disciple others. It will be a natural outflow. Almost all of my best friends have started off as disciples of mine, almost all of them, or me of theirs. And as we pour into one another, it's hard to do anything but to grow in a love for each other. Some of us are desiring greater relational depth. Friend, maybe that comes as you sacrificially pour your love out into others. Do you see the importance of discipleship? Do you believe that it's as valuable as we say it is, as the scriptures say it is? Do you see how it is for your good? And family, if you're still not convinced of the value of it, then while Huli or Apollos or Paul or the Church of Crete are all great examples, I do know a truer and a better example, and his name is Christ Jesus. He is our great rabbi, discipler. Family, Jesus made disciples, did he not? Jesus personally poured into 12 men and personally discipled many other women and men during his short earthly ministry faithfully so well that of the 11 faithful disciples, 10 of them would end up getting killed for the faith because of how much they believed in Jesus. That's the value of discipleship. Jesus was a good disciple maker and corporately Jesus practiced discipleship as well. He built a church. He taught thousands of people at one time. He healed and served many in different uh, uh, villages. Jesus was a great example of individual, personal discipleship and of corporate discipleship as well. Further, Jesus knew that discipleship was hard, y'all. 
Like most of his agony came as his friends began to leave him. Even as he was sending them, we see how hard it was for the disciples who wanted to stay close to Jesus. But Jesus promised that one day they would be with him forever. So until that day comes, make disciples so that that party can get greater. This was Jesus's message to his disciples. But Jesus isn't just our example, y'all. Jesus also dies and is punished by God, as if Jesus was the one that was burying all of his talents, as if he was making demons, not disciples. Jesus dies as if he is being unfaithful in the good work that God has called him to do, as if what Jesus did was evil. Jesus dies the death that we deserve, but then he resurrects. And with his resurrection, he gives us peace. But he doesn't just give us peace, he also gives us power and commissioning to now be like him and to make disciples with and underneath his authority. Family of God, you have been given the spirit to do the work of discipleship. You have been given the command of Christ to motivate the heart of discipleship and the authority that you need to be sent off on mission for discipleship. Because all authority has been given to Jesus. And so family, like as we close this book, can I give us some really tangible examples of what I want us to do, what I think the scripture is calling us to do from this book? Can we get really practical as we conclude Titus together? By the way, usually the gospel point comes at the very end. I still got like eight minutes left, so don't sleep on me, all right? Okay, listen, uh, I want you to keep asking, do you believe discipleship is one of the main convictions that you have as a Christian? Do you value discipleship among almost anything else? You gotta ask yourself that. Here's why I say this. I want you to notice Paul throughout this book of Titus, six times Paul talks about that word good. In fact, there's a slide on the screen that will show you all the times that he mentioned this idea of doing something good, okay? Even here in this text, in uh, verse 14, he calls them to devote themselves to good works. Right Now, remember the discipleship frame that we had last week? Nobody? Great. Let me throw it up for you again, okay? Um, here's the discipleship screen that we talked about last week of how we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me ask the question. Why does Paul, in just three chapters, six times, bring up this idea of works along with other work-based themes in this letter? Why do you think Paul keeps talking about them doing good works? Why does Titus sound almost a little bit more like the epistle of James than it does like the epistle of Romans? Well, because of the four loves, do you know the love that this church was likely lacking in the most? It was their strength, their actions, their doing things for the gospel. Why do I say this? Well, Paul already told us this in chapter one. In chapter one, he says that a prophet of their own, one of the Cretans, like he calls a lost guy a prophet. Isn't that so interesting? He says, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. There in their culture had a lack of strength which was stopping them from fully loving God. So while not rejecting the other forms of love, Paul's not rejecting the heart or the soul or the mind. He zooms in and he focuses on their strength because this is the one that this church likely lacked the most and being faithful towards loving Jesus with all of themselves. Do y'all follow what I'm saying here? Okay, and so like, 
One of the things that I want us to think about is like, a lot of times we're like, oh, I don't really know how to disciple someone. Listen, you can take this frame, you can sit down with somebody and you can go, what command of Christ are you struggling with? And can we help each other grow with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, how can we do this? That's what we talked about last week, right? So Paul is realizing in Crete, there's a lack of strength, a lack of action. So I'm going to focus on this. So I had to ask myself and our team this past week, which of these heart, soul, mind, strength do you think prevents our church from following the command to make disciples, which is a command for Jesus, from sending, from multiplying towards being obedient to Jesus? I don't think we lack strength as a culture. You see this all the time where we will work really, really hard for the jobs that God has given us. Praise God, that is good. Work is unto the Lord. Students will work really, really hard to make really, really good grades that don't nobody look at post-graduation. Nobody checks your GPA, y'all, right? And yet we work really, really hard to do that. I don't think we have a strength problem. I don't think we have a mind problem. I think that we know these things. We have a lot of information as a church and as a culture. I don't think we have a heart problem. A lot of y'all just cried watching Huli's video, right? I don't think it's a heart issue, but our souls, I'm not sure if we really believe this, y'all. Like deep down, okay? Like, I think there's been an attack on our culture towards having conviction and deep belief in the word of God and in the importance of the local church. And the culture has attacked the local church because the local church has been shady at times, but Jesus promised us the local church would be shady because he saved you and put you in it. And he saved me and put me in it. And we need to believe in the local church, in individual disciple making. I believe that it's a soul issue because we tend to not persevere when things get hard. Many of us haven't suffered for Christ, which tends to be the manure. Suffering is the manure that is placed on your souls that then root belief and conviction. Nobody likes suffering, but likely if you've suffered and you're still in Christ, you are a lot more secure than pre-suffering you. And we lack suffering at times as a culture. It is comfortable a lot. And we try to form our whole lives around our comfort. That's why our convictions tend to waver. But what if family, what if Jesus knew how to restore the whole world? What if Jesus knew how we can make the biggest impact that would echo throughout eternity? It's not a what if, he's God, he did know. So then I don't think it's a mistake that at the end of every one of the gospel letters, the last command of Jesus is to make disciples. That's the last thing Jesus says, not to read your Bible, not to pray, not to fast, not to give, not to have families, love your husbands and wives, do this. All of those are equally as important commands because all the commands of Christ are valuable. The whole word of God is God breathed. But I do think it's significant that each letter ends with us supposed to be making disciples. Do you believe it? Not do you know it, do you believe it? y'all, like in your soul. Do you believe that it is that important that Jesus would end all of his ministry telling us to do this? Do you see all the names in the book of Titus and realize, oh, they're there making disciples. God's called me to do the same. Now, some of y'all may not feel worthy to make disciples still, despite the many uh, implorations throughout this text. Let me give you really quick encouragement. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You are worthy, okay? But also, do you see those names that are there in the scripture? 
And do you realize those names? Like say them in your head and you'll begin to realize that all of those names are of foreign Greek and Roman gods. Apollo, Artemis, Zenus is the same root word for Zeus, meaning they grew up not following Jesus or at least they had family that didn't follow Jesus. And then Jesus grabbed a hold of their life and now they're serving the church. I don't know your past and what makes you feel unworthy, but if you're in Christ, I do know your future. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. You can be used for the kingdom of God, saint of Jesus Christ. So if you feel unworthy in discipleship, I'm telling you, you have the spirit, you can do it, y'all. And so listen, real practical, okay? Some of y'all are Apollos. Like you're actually running from a call to be in full-time ministry and you're actually supposed to do it. We have a residency program that we wanna open up. We have church plants that we're going to send out. Maybe it's 10 years from now, but I would encourage you, maybe some of y'all are supposed to be serving the local church like this, making sacrifices in these ways. But for a lot of us, we are Zenus and Artemis and Tychicus, who we didn't even have time to get to today, but they have cool stories as well. Lay people that are killing it for the sake of the gospel. How do we make disciples? Maybe you do need to learn more. Listen, we have DMIs that are coming in the spring. Once again, we just opened registration for them today. Go to thewellaustin.com slash events. Learn how to share your faith. Maybe that's a piece of discipleship. For some of us, maybe we need to be sent to the nations or on a plant, or we need to multiply our community groups so that we can make more space for our church so that we can keep growing. Because as a church, we do not celebrate growing, we celebrate going, but the more we grow, the more we can go. And so we want to make more of an impact in the kingdom. Maybe that's part of what God is calling you to do. But listen, there's a phrase here that I want us to end with. Paul says, make sure that they lack nothing. I love that phrase. What are you willing to give to make sure that the body of Jesus Christ lacks nothing as we are trying to move the mission forward to build the kingdom of God? What are you willing to give, right? Do you believe the local church the way that Christ did? and bled and died for her. Does your soul, not your mind, not your hands, not your heart, does your soul believe in the value? I believe that what we are doing here matters y'all because I believe in the words of Jesus Christ that genuinely all these things that we're trying to communicate are not just words on a page. These are living letters sent by God himself and every single work that you do will be rewarded at the day of Christ Jesus. I believe it. And I believe that every individual that we change will be there throughout eternity and we will bless them as they've encouraged us and they will bless you as you've encouraged them. And you'll no longer be thinking about your 401k that you did or didn't save up for. You'll be there for eternity. You'll no longer be thinking about the fashion that you did or didn't have. Hello. You'll no longer be thinking about the job that you did or didn't get, the relationship that you did or didn't have. You will be with the saints of God and every person that you sacrificially poured into will be there with you and you will see Jesus forever. Does your soul believe it? Because if so, then you will do what it takes to make disciples around you. And so what is God calling you to today? Who is he calling you to pour into? Can you take a group of guys and go, hey, like, let's just try to like filter things through this grid and just try to love Jesus more. Can you take a group of moms and go, hey, like, let's try to learn how to do this with our husbands, with our kids just a little bit more. Can you go in your co-working spot and go, hey, like, what is God calling you to today? I promise every work that you do, God will reward forever. Jesus is faithful, y'all.
And because he's faithful, he is worthy to be exalted and to give our lives for. Amen? So I pray we'd forever make disciples as a church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hey, I love y'all. Let's pray together. Um, Yeah, actually, uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit of God, I pray right now, actually, as we spend just a little bit of moment in silence, I actually pray that you would begin to reveal to us, hey, who or how are you calling me to make disciples? Maybe for some of us, it is more corporately serving, loving, giving, being in community. Maybe for some of us, it's individually people. Maybe for some of us, we do need the stream flowing in. We need more personal and corporate discipleship so that we could be a stream pouring out. But I pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, that you would begin to show us how are you calling us to love, follow, and to serve you, King Jesus. I pray you would speak to us. What are you calling me to? What are my next steps? Help me to really believe this in my soul. I'm gonna give us just a little bit of time of silence, reflecting on the word of God that we just walked through and maybe make really simple prayers to God. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. God, what are you calling me into to be faithful to you? Holy Spirit, would you root belief in us? Help us to believe. God, I pray that today, tomorrow, this week, sometime this month, sometime this year, God, that you would show us what you're calling us to do and that we would find joy in serving you. God, I pray for everybody who came into the room unsure of where they were in relationship with you. Friend, you may have come in and not been an active follower of Jesus. You may have known like, man, I don't know what I believe in all of this. And maybe today the Lord spoke to your heart. He spoke to your soul. He spoke to your mind. He's calling you to come be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to have your sin and your shame forgiven and removed. Maybe he's calling you to join the family of Christ today. I would encourage you that all it takes is belief. As you confess with your mouth, Jesus, I I love you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. As you lay your life down, as you become Savior and Lord, friends, you are saved. And if you give your life to Jesus, receive his love for you, God wants to use you for the kingdom even today. Like even upon your surrendering to Christ, gosh, Jesus, would you allow us to surrender our lives to you? Whether it be for the first time or for the thousandth time, would we surrender to you again? Praise in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.